All right, go ahead and take your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. I am so excited for this text. I prayed a lot this week about what text to use. That's why I'm not a big fan of topical preaching. Um, I have a hard time trying to settle, I guess you could say, on a text. Because there's so many texts that you can use for different things. And for me, it's like, well, I'd like to preach this text, or I'd like to do that text. Expositional verse-by-verse preaching is so much easier because next week I know what's coming. It's the next text. (laughs) Well, that's what i got to preach on. But this text, Romans 11, uh, verses 33 through 36, it's it's considered a doxology. And uh, I wrestled with whether or not I should preach it because really it's a doxology of everything Paul has mentioned from Romans 1 through 11. So after we read the text, I want you to just imagine what if we spent a couple years in Romans 1 through 11 and then got to this text. So we'll get to that here in a second. But Johann Sebastian Bach, y'all have heard of him probably. If you haven't, then I'm getting old. But Johann Sebastian Bach once said, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. I like that word, hubbub. I'm going to start using that. He headed all of his compositions with JJ, the initials for Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. And then he ended all of his compositions with the initials SDG, the initials for Soli Deo Gloria, which means to God alone be the glory. See, Bach argued that music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God. But I want to argue this morning, and I'm going to show you from Scripture, that our lives should have no other aim than the glory of God. In today's text, Paul is coming to the end of his doctrinal section of the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 11 is all about the doctrine of salvation. And in, in, in Romans 1 through 3, he explains the sinfulness of humanity. In Romans 3 through 5, he, he, he shows us the grand hope of justification. In Romans 6 through 8, he gives us principles of living the Christian life. In Romans 9 through 11, he gives a defense of God's righteousness. Paul, through this letter to the church in Rome, has hiked up this mountain of theology. Showing the people the doctrine of salvation. And when he gets up to the peak, Paul here in verses 33 through 36 takes a look at God's grand display, and it brings him to worship. This section is Paul breaking out in worship in verses 33 through 36. So if you'll stand with me, let's read what it is that Paul is saying. Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. If you're there, say word. If you're not, say hold up. Very good. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him, listen, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I got goosebumps reading that. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for Your Word. Help us to just get a taste of Your glory this morning. Show us in Your Scripture who You are. We ask this in Your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This passage is a doxology to God. It's a praise to God. Paul is breaking out in praise in this section. And this is a great example of how theology, theology, which is the study of God, of who God is, it's a great example of how theology leads us to doxology, praise to God. This is why we have such an emphasis here on wanting to teach you the Word. We want to show you who God is because we believe that true worship happens when we come to know who God truly is. So what is it? that is drawing Paul to worship as he is. And we need to understand this because we need to understand why we praise. We praise because of who God is. And because of who God is and what He has done in our lives, our lives should have no other aim but to glorify Him. So what is it here that is drawing Paul to worship as he is? Firstly, I think... The what is drawing Paul to worship is the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 33. All the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Church, when we come together to worship, we are worshiping who God is. A lot of times people come to church to get something out of church. Now, hear me say this. We need to get something out of worship. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be encouraged with who God is. We need to be reminded of what God has done for our sin and shame so that we can continue living this life. But ultimately, our aim is not to come to worship to get something out of it. Ultimately, our aim in worship is to give worship to God. Paul is giving worship to God. He's commenting on the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. If you like circling and underlining in your Bibles, man, I would circle riches, wisdom, and knowledge. Now, some translations will argue, because you can translate it both ways, the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God or the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. The ESV has it translated as the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. I don't think either way is a bad way of interpreting it because when we look at Scripture, Paul brings up how God is rich. Now, we don't mean money. I believe I am rich. I have got a beautiful wife. I've got two beautiful boys. I serve an amazing church. I believe I am rich. I'm broke. 
<laughs> and it's Christmas time, but I'm rich. God is rich. God ain't broke, though. God is rich. Scripture tells us he is rich in mercy. Scripture tells us that he is rich in glory. He is rich in kindness. He is rich in patience. Scripture tells us that he is slow to anger and enduring in love. He is rich in all these things. The depth of God's richness should draw us to worship him. Have you guys ever hiked up a mountain and you got up to a point where you just looked out and it's just beautiful landscape where there's just nothing out there. Now, I'm afraid of heights. Uh, there's a, a camp. Um, I, I forgot where it is. Anderson, maybe. Um, it's uh, called TVR, Teen Valley Ranch. Um, and there's this hike they go up and there's a rock that sticks out of the mountain. There's nothing underneath it. I'm a big guy. I don't trust standing on things that have no support underneath it. But my wife prances right on out into the rock, just acting like there's nothing wrong. I'm seriously like 20 feet back freaking out. But the display, the beauty. See, Paul has hiked this mountain of theology, and he is seeing the display and the beauty of who God is. Because of what he's done. And he sees this depth. Look at how deep the richness of God is. It is never ending. I believe Paul probably knew the most about God than any other person that ever lived. I mean, read the Bible. I believe Paul knew the most anybody could know about God. But even Paul is saying, look at how deep this goes. I have not even made a dent in it. Look at how much further, how deep the richness of God is. Richard Sibbs tells us that there is more mercy in Christ than sin is us. And you're going to hear me comment that a lot, quote that a lot, because I love that quote, because there's so much sin in me. But to see the depth of the richness of God's mercy, it helps me wake up in the morning. It helps me continue on daily to know that God's rich in mercy Believer, you might be here this morning and you might be worn out with some type of sin that you're struggling with. Let me encourage you of the depth of the richness of God's mercy. Never ending. He's rich in mercy and praise be to him for it. Not only is Paul telling us that God is the, the depth of his riches, he's also showing us the depth of his Wisdom. God is wise. It's God's wisdom that planned our salvation. That's what he shows us from Romans 1 through 11. It's his wisdom that is hidden in Christ and that is displayed on the cross. I mean, who would have thought of a plan that would turn disobedience into an occasion for mercy? Who would have thought of something like that? Only God could have done that. God is all wise. And God is all knowing. Believer, 
even though he knows the deepest, darkest secrets and sin about you, he still loves you. Is that not encouraging? Wrap your mind around that. He knows the thoughts that you had this morning on your way to church. He knows the conversation you had with your spouse this morning as y'all were fighting over who was going to drive or who was taking the longest to get ready. Anybody in here had that argument? God knows that. He knows everything that there is to know about you. Yet He loves you the most. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul is basking in the beauty of God's sovereignty. How He works all things for His glory. How He has worked for the salvation of His people. It is only through God's wisdom and richness of mercy and knowledge that He is working out salvation for His people. How He continues daily to bless a sinful people. How deep God is. And Paul's looking at this depth and he's thinking, there's still so much more. If you ever get to a point in your Bible study, if you ever get to a point in your Bible reading, if you ever get to a point of your study of God and you get to this point of where, well, I think I've hit the wall. I think I've known, exhausted everything I can know about God. You have not studied God. He is inexhaustible. In fact, the Bible tells us that there are mysteries of God that are not even revealed to us. But only what is in His Word. We can know Him. And even that, church, let me tell you, you can never know too much about God's Word. You can never finish the study of His Word. So number one, we see Paul is at all in the sovereignty of God. And it's the sovereignty of God that should draw us to glorify Him every day within our lives. The way that He works things out. Believer, you may be here this morning and you're struggling. It may not be sin, it may be trials. Understand that God's sovereignty works out all things for His glory. There is no such thing as purposeless suffering when it comes to God. We trust in His sovereignty and we are at all in it. Secondly, Paul is in awe of the sufficiency of God. The sufficiency of God. Look at, look at verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Paul is quoting from Isaiah 40, 13 and Job 41, 11. 30, 30, 34 is Isaiah 40, and then 35 is Job 41, if you just wanted to know that. And Paul is showing us that God does not need anything. Does not need anything. As the sovereign ruler of the universe, hear me say this, as the sovereign ruler of the universe... He does not need your advice. He doesn't. 
I know sometimes we may think he does. Sometimes we may want to tell God how he should do his job, but he doesn't need you to do that. Let me tell you, I have a six-year-old at home who tries to tell me how to parent. Daddy, you need to spank Trevin. Boy, you better sit down. God does not need our advice. Trying to tell God how to be God is like trying to tell God that you can do a better job. You don't know the mind of God. Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even though his judgments are unsearchable and his ways inscrutable, we see that in 33, he doesn't need to be told how to be God. But isn't that good though? Isn't it it good that we can sit back and relax? I don't like it when my wife drives. She terrifies me. She slams on brakes. She's not here. We uh we had a um a respite care this weekend. We have a one year old and a two year old at our house. Um, just for the weekend, they're getting picked up this this afternoon, and they are wide open. Um, so she's at home watching online with four kids. Um, so I'll hear it later. But she, I do not like it when she drives. She doesn't know the way half the time. Um, but she slams on brakes. She gets fearful sometimes. And, uh, and I guess it's just me being a man, right? I mean, men, we just don't like it when our wives drive. I, I, nothing against my wife, but we just don't like it. We like to be in control of the will, right? Jesus, take the will. No, I've got it, you know? But you see, here's the thing with God and Him knowing how to be God. That we can trust when He has the will. We can actually throw our seat back and take a nap and relax in knowing that he's in control. There's no God tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey man, do I take a right here? We can trust God. We don't have to worry how God is going to be God because if he truly knows all things, and if he's truly good and is truly gracious and is truly merciful, then can't we trust him? With that? And I've said this before and I'll say it again. If we can trust God with our eternity, can we not trust Him with our today? If He is truly sovereign, then can we not trust Him with what life brings our way? Spurgeon says this. He says, The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. God's got it. He's sufficient, and he doesn't need our advice. John Piper says that God does have a counselor. It's God. So God doesn't need our advice, and he doesn't owe us anything either. Verse 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. We treat God like we treat Santa Claus. I have been good. Shouldn't I be blessed? (laughs) That's anti-gospel. Anti-gospel. The gospel isn't that God owes us anything, 
But it's that through Christ, in the midst of our sinfulness, He gives us everything. And hear me say this, church. Hear me say this. This is where I don't like the term karma. God does not repay the believer what the believer is owed. Because if He did, we would all be getting hell. Let me say that again. God does not repay the believer what the believer is owed. Because if He did, we would all be getting hell. God owes us nothing. He is sufficient in Himself. Paul is at all with God's sovereignty. He's at, he's in all of God's sufficiency. And then uh, number three, he's in all of the salvation of God. Sovereignty of God, sufficiency of God, and the salvation of God. And we're gonna, we're gonna land in verse 36. Now I, I wrestled with just doing verse 36. Verse 36 is where you get the Soli Deo Gloria. Verse 36 is where the reformers saw Soli Deo Gloria. And this is where we see, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Amen, Amen buddy. This verse... <laughs> This verse, all things are from him, through him, and to him. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Church, here... We see that God is the source of all things. I mean, we could take it all the way back to Genesis 1. He created all things. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. And if we can believe Genesis 1, 1, then we can believe the rest of Scripture. God is the source of all things. He has created all things. Church, any blessings that we may receive, they're from God. The air that we breathe is from God. The food and the water that we have for our nourishment is from God. The job that you have is from God. The car that you drove here this morning is from God. The house you live in is from God. The money in your bank account, if you have any, is from God. All of it. This is why we give in the offering. This is why we give. We, we, we give just a little bit of what God has given us. Because He's given us all things. And he's the source of all things. I look, I look at my beautiful wife in the morning, even before she puts on makeup, and, and, and I do not think to myself, man, I am so good and so handsome and rich that I've got such a beautiful woman. Thanks be to me that I scored her. I don't think that when I wake up in the morning. 
I look to my wife and I think, thank God that you have blessed me with such a beautiful and amazing woman that I do not deserve. I thank God that what you've given me, even through the pain, He is the source of all things. The hard days. God is the source of all things. The good days, God is the source of all things. How is it that we make it through these trials and tribulations? How is it that we make it through bad diagnoses? How is it that we make it through cancer, death of a loved one? How is it that we make it through these hard days? By God, who is the source of all things that we need. For from Him are all things. That, that strength and grace and mercy that wakes you up in the morning to continue going on no matter how bad you feel, that's from God. Understanding that good days can be better than bad days. Understanding that even though things may be as dark as they are, but yet I see the light in Christ. That's from God. From Him is the source of all things. Not only from Him are all things, but through Him are all things. He's not only the source of all things, He's the sustainer of all things. Colossians 1 shows us that not only are all things created from Him and by Him, but all things are held together through Him. Remember that children's song, He's got the whole world in His hands? He does. He holds everything together for His purpose and glory. Let me ask you, church, can you imagine a world where God doesn't exist? I would hate to live in that world. Nothing would be held together. It would completely fall apart. Through Him are all things. From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. He is the goal of all things. All things exist for His glory. All of creation exists to give Him praise. Let me tell you, you might be sitting here thinking, well, what about the unbelievers? There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. All of creation is going to give Him glory. That it'll be either out of joy or out of judgment. All of creation exists to give him praise. But here's what I want to show you in this verse also is not only how all things are from him, through him, and to him, but I want to show how this works in salvation. Because even in salvation, we see that salvation is from Him. It is only from the hands of God that we can be saved. It is only from His grace and mercy that we can be saved. It is only from His wise and rich and knowledgeable plan that we can be saved. All things are from God, even salvation. You did not earn your salvation. Church, 
And never can we look to God and say, thank God that I chose you. Never can we put any type of glory in us for our salvation. It is solely from God. It is from God working within your life. Whether it's from family members or whether it's from being raised in church or whether it's from crossing paths with somebody who's going to share the gospel with you. God did it. Salvation is solely from God. It's only from the hands of God. And salvation is through God. It's from God and it's through God. How is it through God? It's through the works of Christ on the cross. The greatest display of glory ever shown was God nailing his son to the cross. Whoa, you mean God put him there? Yes, because of our sin. Isaiah tells us that it pleased God. Why? Because it was an atoning sacrifice. And it was the plan from the beginning. Before the foundations of the world, the Father and the Son planned for this to happen. Well, I mean, Father, Son, and the Spirit. Church, salvation is only through the work of God. You cannot work your way to heaven. No matter how good you are obedient to the Word... Because you're still missing the point. Obedience is not how good I can live my life. Obedience is trusting in the work of Christ on the cross. Salvation is through the work of God. It's from God, it's through God, and it's to God. Our salvation is to the purpose and glory of God. Why are you saved? You're not saved because God needed you. He didn't need you. He didn't need any of of us. He's self-sufficient. Why did God save you? To glorify himself. And that's good. That is good. He saved you for his glory. We are saved from the wrath of God, through the works of God, for the glory of God, To the purpose of God. We are saved because of God. And that's where the reformers are getting at here with Soli Deo Gloria. Now understand, the Protestant reformers never really spoke on the five solas. They never listed them out. But all of this is coming from... The Protestant Reformation is coming from how we became Protestants, how we became Baptists and Methodists and Lutheran, Presbyterian, however you want to look at it. This is where we stake our theology. We stake it on sola fide, faith alone. That we are not saved by works, but, but through faith. We, we stake our, our, our theology on sola gratia, grace alone. That we are saved by grace, by His grace, the richness of His grace. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, the only authority we have is from the Word of God that shows us how to be saved and shows us who God truly is. 
Solus Christus. We see that we are only saved in Christ alone. It's only by his work and through his work. It's only because of what Christ has done that we can be saved. And solely Deo Gloria. Praise be to God that he did this. The only glory that anybody ever deserves is the glory that goes to God. Your salvation is only found in the fact that God has graciously saved you. Your salvation is only found in the fact that you didn't deserve to be saved, but God did it anyway. Soli Deo Gloria. How do we respond to that? How do we as believers respond to what God has done? Paul says it at the end of verse 36. To Him be glory forever. Amen. What does that mean for us? Paul tells us in Corinthians, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. How we live our lives, we do it all for the glory of God because even life is a gift of God. How do we give glory to God in our work? By working as if we're working for God. How do we give glory to God as being husbands and wives? By obeying and loving our spouse like Christ loves us. How do we give glory to God as parents? By raising them up in a godly home and showing them the gospel truth. How do we give glory to God as a church? By living on mission and being obedient to what God has called us to. To make disciples of all nations. To proclaim the gospel and the glory to the world. Church, we have work to do and it's all for the glory of God. I feel like the American church is missing that too. I feel like the American church is missing the fact that we exist for God's glory, not for ours. We're not here to build our kingdom. We're here to build God's kingdom. And this is why I read Psalms 150 this morning for our call to worship. Because honestly, Psalm 150 is to be our response to the glory of God. And I'll, lastly, I'll read Psalm 150 again and then we'll close in prayer. But what should be our response to witnessing the glory of God by checking out the depths of His richness and, and wisdom and knowledge by, by seeing His sufficiency that He is God. He is for Himself. He is to build His glory. That's what He's here for. And then how are we to respond to the fact that God, through His salvation of us, is for His glory? How do we, resu- how do we respond? Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Church, if you are a believer this morning, there is nothing in your life, there's nothing in your life that you can use as an excuse to not praise God. Everything God is doing within your life is for your good, believer, and is for His glory. But let me speak for a second to the unbelievers in the room, if there are any. Hear me say this, that we see that God does all things for His glory. That includes saving souls. We see that even sending His Son to be our Savior was to the praise and glory of His name. We see when the angel comes, I bring you good news of great tidings. That will be for all the people. We see that it is for God's glory. Understand that He has come to take our sin and our shame and nail it to the cross so that we may be saved. And what is it that we have to do? We just trust. The Bible tells us to confess with your mouth that Jesus is, is, is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. The Bible tells us that, uh, that you are saved by grace through faith. You don't have to do anything to be saved. And this is what the Protestant reformers were pushing for. Salvation is not based on our works. It is solely based on God. So to the unbelievers in the room, let me tell you that God's arms are wide open. And I'm praying that He's tugging at your heart right now. I'm praying He's transforming your heart of stone into a heart of flesh at this moment. I'm praying that He is turning you to the beauty and glory of who He is. If you have not turned to Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you do so this morning for His glory? Let's pray. Father God, You are so good and so glorious and so gracious and so merciful. And God, all we can do this morning is give you glory. We do that by looking at your word and exalting you for who you are. God, I pray that we are a God-glorifying church. I pray that everything we do, everything we do, everything we do brings you glory. God, help us this morning. For anyone in this room who is not saved, I pray, God, that you are doing a work within their life. I pray that they respond. God, I pray for the believer in the room that is struggling, whether it's with sin or trials or whatever is going on within their life. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that you are sovereign and you are sufficient and you are rich in mercy and grace and love and kindness and you are wise and you work out all things for our good and your glory. Help us to be reminded of that and to trust in that. God, for those of us that are wrestling with our sin, help us to repent of it. We cannot glorify you with sin. So help us to be rid of it daily. Help us, as Martin Luther says, to live a life of repentance. So God, I pray that you would do a work this morning for your glory. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.